Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and L Talk, Legacy Food and L Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and L Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and L Talks is now Change Maker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Food and Health Talks. Today, we'll be discussing food innovation, plant-based food innovation, with no other than Dan Rigler, is the founder of the co-founder of Karana, and he'll be telling us about how they are innovating in the space, bringing nice, nourishing, plant-based products to the marketplace. So, Daniel, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. That's great. So we'll get started. You know, a lot of times people are curious to know why exactly are you doing what you're doing? What led you in this direction? And what should we expect from you? So there's a lot in your background. I was reading your bio and I saw, wow, he has quite an impressive background. So it'll be good to learn how you moved from corporate finance into food innovation, why did you go in this direction to start with? Tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> well, I think both my co-founder and I come from finance and, and uh, I have a consulting background as well. Uh, and I think we've met a lot of people similarly who have been in that world and have found more meaningful <laughs> pursuits that they're more passionate about. So that's we're very fortunate to have been able to, to follow that journey. But yeah, for me, I've always been really passionate about two things. One is food and the other is sustainability. Uh, I grew up between Europe and the US, so I always had a very uh, I think good appreciation for food and, and farming culture, uh, but I didn't really connect that with, you know, the, the need to, to think about where our food is coming from, how it's being scaled and produced, uh, you know, on an industrial level until I really faced that. I spent a lot of my career working in developing markets and uh, that led to a lot of uh, projects focused on, on agriculture and food production processing. And seeing that firsthand really was eye-opening in, in a lot of ways and really put me on a path of just wanting to do something that was more impactful um, and, uh, and really building a, a better, more sustainable, uh, and as I understand things uh, more about just the reality for a lot of farmers in the world, just a more equitable food system. So that's really what we're trying to achieve. That's, that's great. That's very great. And, and you know, the interesting thing is um, uh, people, different culture might approach food differently, um, but we are all connected with one purpose. We all want, uh, want to be, um, we want to have, uh, we want to be able to support our population in years to come. So that's, mm -hmm. um, that's really very crucial to all. I noticed you've lived in Thailand and um, Cambodia, you live in different places. Those all those cultural differences play out in how you design and produce uh, your products. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, being on the ground, you know, spending a lot of time with farmers, especially smallholder farmers. And I live in Cambodia for several years. I've worked on projects uh, all across uh, in, in Myanmar. Uh, I've spent a lot of time all around that region in, uh, in Indonesia as well. Uh, is also uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa and East and Southern Africa. Uh, so, you know, just seeing all those different experiences, seeing, you know, the, being in, in countries where they're very close to their agriculture and, and have been able to, uh, you know, grow food in a way that is still nourishing, is scaling and sustaining populations, but has not been commercialized in a way that captures a lot of value for the farmers was a huge gap that I saw. And so really what we try and do is, is seek out those underutilized, underappreciated crops that also fit into a framework that we have around A, being very good to source. So supporting soil and, and soil health and biodiversity, uh, being good for the communities where they're grown, tapping into uh, either underutilized or a wasted resource, uh, but also then hitting the, the profiles around health for consumers and being able to turn it into great products. But yeah, what you mentioned about being able to sustain food for ourselves, I mean, so much of what we've done, especially, you know, starting in the West, but now going into place in, in every country in the world, largely uh, building these industrial food systems that are really, you know, doing the opposite of that, really damaging the soil, reducing our ability to, to really sustainably and healthfully feed our populations you know in the long term that's really what we're trying to directly address and working with what has been done over you know many many generations in a lot of markets and trying to you know learn from that knowledge and experience but also bring and contribute some value directly into those markets so connect those markets to consumers and really try and and solve a few key issues around you know the fact that farmers don't capture a lot of the value that they're creating in the world typically uh, especially on a fault with small a small holder, holder scale uh, but also you know making sure that we can bring really sustainable and really nutritious uh, ingredients to markets that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be aware of accessing them that's great so um, when you think about your products, um, the finished product now, uh, we know the source you know, is plant-based, plant but uh, what does the finished product look like? Is it like a burger? Is it, uh, what does it really look like? Yeah, so we have we make a meat from from jackfruit right now, and and we're we have plans to work with a lot of different ingredients in the future, but we focus in on jackfruit uh, for a lot of reasons around <laughs> the, the the conditions I just mentioned, it's a really interesting crop. And one of the really exciting things about it is it has this great fibrous texture that allows you to do a lot of different things with it, taken in a lot of directions without doing all the intense processing that would go into a crop like soy. Um, so we we take it into a couple of different directions as a meat. Uh, in Singapore and Hong Kong, we've been launching it uh, as a, a food service product. So an ingredient that chefs can work with, like a, it's very similar to a pork in terms of its texture and application, but really it can go into a range of, of dishes, applications, formats. So it's a it's a ground or minced meat uh, that can be taken in a number of directions. So you can do burgers, sausages. We put it into I mean our another product that we'll be launching soon as a company first uh, in in our Asia markets uh, and in the U.S. Then is a, a dumpling um, that it's uh, you know a classic sort of gyoza pot sticker. We have a pork and cabbage, pork and chive dumpling in in Singapore as well, uh, and. 
it's, I mean, I've, I, I can really enjoy veggie dumplings, but as someone who's now mostly plant-based, one of the things that I miss most, and I know uh, Blair, my co-founder, has missed most being vegan for a lot of his life, uh, but growing up in Hong Kong is that classic, you know, juicy pork uh, dumpling. And that's where we really, you know, get a very similar texture and experience uh, using our, our product. Um, so that's that's one of our kind of favorite uh, and, and uh you know, featured use cases, but really it's a meat that can go in so many different directions. And again, because of the nature of the jackfruit, it doesn't require a lot of really heavy seasoning. It doesn't have these distinct, you know, soy and off flavors. So it's very, very versatile. We season and salt it quite lightly compared to a lot of other products in the market. And it's really a blank canvas for chefs to take in a lot of different directions. We've worked with everything from Michelin star chefs and restaurants to, you know, very local community type organizations, restaurants, uh, and and there's just so many different directions in terms of cuisines, applications, uh, and dishes that, that it can go into. So it's a very versatile ground meat. But even when you eat the, um, or when you're working with the jackfruit, you'll still see sometimes little bits of seeds or pieces of the jackfruit. So it's still a very clean, very transparent, very ingredient-focused product. That's great. That's really great. So um, thinking about your product, um, your consumers now, do you, are you directly to consumers or you're going through um, restaurants and um, big companies or how do you plan to distribute this? Yeah, we want I mean, we want to make sure that uh, people really get a great experience with uh, with our dish, with the product and with the dish that's made in. So we like to partner with really exciting chefs to to kind of get it introduced to people. So we've been launching with restaurants first, uh, first in Singapore at the beginning of 2021. And then we launched in Hong Kong a few uh, months later. We've been slowly growing those businesses throughout COVID. Uh, and we'll be launching actually very shortly uh, in the US uh, in San Francisco to start. Uh, we have some really exciting restaurant partners uh, that we'll be announcing pretty pretty imminently um, and launching in the next few weeks uh, here. And then we'll be uh, looking at some other markets in the US. But we usually start with restaurants because at, at our core, we're a very culinary and chef-centric company. You know, that's always been how we've we've started this. We have a, a deep love and passion for food and our, our company and our culture. Uh, so, you know, starting with restaurants, seeing what the chefs do with the product also gives us a lot of inspiration and, uh, and ideas and, and feedback. Um, but then We'll be launching the the dumpling as well um, as a, a frozen uh, retail product um, first in in our Asian markets and then in the U.S. in the not too distant future. That's great. So your next phase or maybe your next big rollout after all the restaurants and company rollout will be direct consumers. Is that correct? Uh, so we'll probably be going through through retail and stores. We're not planning to do a direct to consumer. Oh, okay. Uh, this point, but it's something we're considering. We get a lot of different interests, and you know, since COVID, so many things have been changing and adapting. We're we're open and exploring, but I think we'll probably be looking at partnering with some stores it and sense. groups initially. It makes sense, and and actually, your approach of working with chefs also makes sense too, because when when consumers experience your product for the first time, they experience it from the best, more or less. Or like if they do it on their own and they gamble around and make a mess of it. So experience it from the chef, they know, oh, this is really good. I need to get a recipe and try it out on my own. So I think it's a very uh, strategic move. Then moving on um, a little bit away from um, Karana to talk about the uh, industry as a whole, what do you see that you are really excited about? And what do you see that you think uh, needs to change, definitely needs to change? Well, I mean, there's a lot I'm excited about and we, we as a team are excited about, I think, how far the industry has come in such a short period of time. I think COVID has 
accelerated that. I mean, you saw initially in COVID a, a spike in meat buying. I think there, there was a bit of a flight to comfort foods and familiarity, but I think now coming, you know, as we're starting to emerge from this, and unfortunately we're not completely out of it, but you know, as, as we start to, to embrace our new normal, I think people are really looking to make changes. For me, you know, I was, I, I'm someone who's eaten a lot of meat for most of my life. I grew up in a very meat-centric environment, you know, with a focus on quality, but that was a big part of my identity. Uh, and I've really moved away from that. A lot of that, I was on that path, but during COVID, that's really pushed me to the, the far end of the spectrum. Uh, and I, I've seen that with a lot of people uh, I've been talking with. Um, and I we've seen that there's a huge spike in demand now for plant-based, but also for this new generation of plant-based products. I think people, as this reaches this inflection point, going from the early adopters uh, who would have a, maybe a higher tolerance for, uh, for a variety of products, now as it gets to the mainstream consumers, they really want things that are tasting good, but also delivering on health and telling a really you know, impactful uh, sustainability and source story telling a story around transparency and so our positioning is really resonating uh and i think you know the feedback and, and excitement that we're seeing around our story and and, and our products uh is, is really really exciting for us um you know i think something that i think is is starting to change that that consumers are are reacting to and are, are raising is this need not just to move you know away from animal agriculture, that's a huge part of it, but also to really look at the ingredients that are going into things and look at, you know, the impact of certain monoculture crops in terms of soil health, biodiversity, and I think topics like that, regenerative farming, and we support a, a network of smallholder regenerative wild farmers in Sri Lanka, jackfruit is very good as a mixed intercrop. It's a very uh, low risk crop for farmers to add to their, their plots and portfolios uh, with little, little maintenance and, and effort. So, you know, we're really trying to, to identify those ingredients that are building the kind of, or tapping into the bioavailability or building the kind of food system, food production system that will sustain you know, a healthy food ecosystem for a long time. And not every ingredient in the market is actively doing that. So I, I think the fact that that's resonating with consumers and investors and that people are, are seeing the need for that is very promising to me. And I, I hope to see more brands embracing that and taking the approach. There are some doing similar things and that's really exciting to me. I think anyone supporting ingredients like jackfruit and, and similar sustainability crops and putting in the extra effort, because it takes a lot of extra effort to go in and find those, uh, we get really excited to see other companies taking that approach. Mm, that's great. That's really great. And um, so if you think about some of the things that we can improve on, things that are not exactly the way it should be, what will, what will come to mind for you or what tops the list for you? I think, I mean, again, I think those two things really digging deep into the sourcing, not just there, there's, okay. A lot, there's, there's a lot of existing infrastructure, you know, around very established crops that are grown in a very industrial efficient way. There's a lot of incentives to just incorporate those into a formulation and, and launch those products. I would like to see more people digging deep into the supply chain, identifying these ingredients, finding you know creative and, and interesting ways to scale them that are contributing value across the entire chain. Um, and so, I mean, I, I again, we're very proud of the approach we've taken. Um, we've, we've put a lot of time and energy into it. And I, I definitely have seen a lot of really cool brands. There's a lot of really cool things happening in all areas of the sourcing and, and crop side of things and ag tech. Uh, and I, I think, you know, there's, 
definitely a push towards more regenerative uh, soil friendly farming practices. I think that's becoming a much bigger topic with consumers. So um, I, I would love to just see more people leaning into that. That's great. And also, you know, if you notice during when we had, uh, when the pandemic started, uh, there was um, there was a lot of scarcity. There was a lot of problem with our supply chain. And I just want to get our thoughts on um, future innovation to maintain uh, a good flow in the supply chain, even when we have outbreaks um, like that. It could be outbreak, it could be, it could be anything else that would um, interrupt things. But having that system set up in a resilient way that people can still uh, get a good supply of food, um, regardless of what's going on. It's, it's difficult. And honestly, I think we're entering into a phase of a lot of uncertainty in the world and a lot of shocks. You know, COVID was one where we're seeing what's happening in the world right now. I think this is this is a, an era of, of a lot of uh, uncertainty and, and um, unknowns. Uh, and I think supply chain is going to continue to feel a lot of pressure in a lot of ways. And our answer to that has been even before COVID and since the early days of the company uh, to look at localizing as much as possible. So we're a very small team. We started the company in Singapore uh, a few years ago, and we're, you know, we have operations and people on the ground in, in several countries now, um, both upstream and downstream in the sourcing markets and our, our sales markets. Uh, and I think the reason we've been able to, to accomplish that and be successful in that is because we've always put this emphasis on, on localization in terms of our production, our supply chain. Um, so right now we, we source all our, our jackfruit um, from Sri Lanka, but we're exploring a lot of different active markets uh, to build redundancy into the supply chain. We've built our, our production in a way where we can you know, produce locally in each end market we operate in uh, to reduce uh, shipping costs and um, you know, be able to adapt and localize products so we can better tailor our end products to local markets. And um, I think localization, decentralization as much as possible. Uh, one of the interesting and challenging things about jackfruit supply chains is that they tend to be concentrated around much smaller farmer networks than a lot of other industrial commodity crops. Uh, and, and that's the case for a lot of smallholder oriented crops and a lot of um, you know, markets um, like Sri Lanka. Uh, and there's a huge opportunity there to really support these very sustainable, very local, um, you know, dispersed farming systems, but it takes energy and effort to do that and to, you know, tap into and build those supply chains. Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, companies that are putting in that energy and effort and, and building those supply chains and looking at how to adapt and be resilient, you know, it's it's not easy. It's been a strain for us as well. And we've definitely been been hit with delays and, and challenges. But uh, I think that's that's been very helpful and, and will continue to be the right approach going forward. That's, that's good. And one of the things that I was just um, thinking about, about recently is you mentioned jackfruit as one of the primary um, fruit that you use. Of course, there are a number of other um, options as well. And I was wondering if Along the line, somewhere you plan to expand into other um, products, other um, fruits that you can use as uh, as a base for mm -hmm. for your products. Is that something you have in the pipeline? Is that something 
Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, we already have a number of, of crops and ingredients identified that are very exciting to us. And, you know, with the startup, it's always a balance of chasing down exciting things and prioritizing and focusing. I'm sure you're familiar. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we, we have a lot of things in our pipeline and, and definitely the ideas. I mean, we have a lot we can do just with jackfruit as well. I mean, jackfruit, like I said, is a very versatile and interesting crop with a lot of room both to scale uh, and to to work with. Um, but then there's all sorts of other things uh, that are similar source in similar places, but also looking at uh, crops that fit that framework I mentioned of similar dynamics in their sourcing story that can be sourced in other places more locally. So again, how we look at our crop pipeline is based around, you know, our value system and our, our approach to ingredient sourcing and crop sourcing, uh, but also where we see the market going and where we see risks and challenges. Uh, and uh, so we have a lot of things in front of us, but uh, I think for the for the time being, we're pretty focused on, on jackfruit and all the different things we can do just within that, because it's it's a pretty amazing crop and it's it's very aligned with supporting our mission. Yeah, I agree with you. It's a very, it's, a, it's an amazing crop. And I particularly like the fact that you, um, what you, what you mentioned at the beginning that uh, it's rich in fiber. So um, people that are trying to ensure that their food um, meets their fiber demands um, can comfortably say, oh yeah, it's meeting my fiber and protein demands. So yeah. uh, two for one more or less. So. <laughs> that, that's, that's a huge, huge selling point. I mean, both for plant-based in general, but especially for jackfruit, the, the nature of the fiber in jackfruit, it's, it's a low GI uh, because we use it in the unripe form. Uh, so okay. before the sugars have formed. So it's, it's a low GI food. There's a lot of quite interesting research around the potential uh, nutraceutical effects uh, in terms of slowing or, or even preventing or reversing prediabetes and uh, just general uh, gut health. I mean, it's been used traditionally in Ayurvedic medicine for a long time. Uh, and uh, it's 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 a very interesting ingredient from a health and nutrition standpoint as well, especially since we can use it in a format that is really very minimally processed at the end of the day. Mm, that's great. That's, that's absolutely great. So um, what do you envision for the future of your company? So five years down the line, what should we expect um, in terms of innovation from you guys? I mean, we love to make really good products. I think, you know, we're, we're really excited by the products uh, that we're launching right now. And we're really focused on just getting those into the market and in front of people because the feedback is always really, really positive. Uh, so we just want to be connecting really, really deeply with consumers. We like to say that we're always, you know, connecting the crop with the end consumer in the best way possible to make it as accessible as possible. So it means to be delicious. Uh, we wanna really make it accessible. We're a small company, so we're limited in what we can do from a price standpoint initially, but over time, as we get that scale and position, we definitely wanna make it as accessible from an economic standpoint as possible. And we really wanna make it accessible to eat good, delicious food. That's that's really what we're trying to achieve here. Uh, and for us, that means sourcing the kind of ingredients that support this food system that's aligned with our values. So we want to continue doing that. <laughs> we want to be, you know, making a measurable impact both on the sourcing and farming side, but also in our impact with consumers, be getting feedback directly from consumers. And again, we're very, I think we have a very strong product team that can iterate and develop really good products really quickly. So continuously getting that feedback, building products that consumers are wanting to be eating and, and enjoying that will help drive adoption of plant-based in general, but especially 
good ingredients that tell a really good sourcing story. So, um, you know, I'm hoping in five years we can have a pretty good idea of, of what that is and be pretty well positioned in the market uh, in the U.S. and in Singapore, Hong Kong, and in other places. No, that's great. Do you have um, do you have um, do you source your products from local markets in um, Hong Kong, or are you source it locally around here? Uh, so we we source. I mean, as much as we can locally. So uh, I mean, the jackfruit is is more limited in terms of where where it grows and where our supply chains are, um, but as much as possible. And that's why. And we try not to. I mean, we we add in a little bit um, of protein. Um, and, and a couple of other things to sort of put the product together. Uh, but uh, we try and keep the, the ingredient profile pretty pretty limited, especially in terms of the flavor and everything. And we really, again, try and make it that blank canvas for chefs so that local chefs can really take it and adapt it. And local, I mean, we have uh, like a lot of conversations going with local butchers in different markets uh, who we get a lot of interest from, from chefs and, and operators who are very meat centric and who weren't really interested in plant-based before, but, you know, our story and what we're doing really resonates with them. Uh, so, you know, we're talking to, we have a lot of butchers who want to do different things with it and, and use their seasonings. So that's, I think the beauty of our product. And, and that's what we love to do in terms of, of localization is, is go straight to the source and understand, you know, what, flavors it will be, what direction it will be taken in, you know, in a different market. And, and we've seen that in Singapore, we've seen that in Hong Kong, and now we're already seeing that in the US that it's, there's a lot of different, different options. That's interesting. So in, in terms of the future of food, uh, the food industry, um, I want to just share your thoughts as we wrap up. Um, what would you um, like to see in five years, 10 years in the food industry, where do you see us going in terms of meeting consumer needs for LDS sustainable products on the show? And in terms of innovation as a whole, improving people's lives, what do you, what do you uh, desire to see um, in the industry? I mean, I, I want to see much more products on shelves, but also, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think you, you've talked and written a bit about the need for, for better food, uh, in our institutional systems. I think that's a huge need and that's a very low hanging opportunity for governments, local governments to step up um, and, and you know, clean up food, especially in terms of education and, and uh, healthcare and, and making you know, healthy, good food as accessible as possible. Um, increasing awareness and education. I think we've become very disconnected from the food we eat, how it's sourced and raised. Uh, so I think, you know, just making people more connected to, to food and farming uh, will lead to an understanding. I think we, we've been on a good track with that in the US. You know, it's improving, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, I mean, in general, the quality of food, food is preventive medicine uh, as a concept. I think all of that, there's just so much immediately available knowledge and opportunity that can be implemented. And so I think that's where a lot of energy should be focused. And then of course, just, yeah, replacing all these, you know, hyper-processed ingredients, uh, products, uh, I think just better quality, making that more accessible, providing more resources for companies and brands doing that to bring those costs down, eliminating some of the, you know, artificial subsidies and, and things, keeping prices of those other ingredients and meat artificially low. Um, I think these are all, all steps that can be taken to really start driving a major shift in our food system in a relatively short amount of time. 
that's, that's absolutely uh, essential. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. There's a lot uh, to be done. And we've come a long way too uh, from where mm -hmm. we used to be. And I think the more we put um, emphasis on the need for change and how we can change and we keep sharing ideas, it would um, help move things um, in the right direction. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining today and sharing what you're doing. Uh, I really I can't wait to try your product some of those days when um, it's really available to people here in the US. So thanks for connecting. Thanks for sharing your ideas. And um, for everyone that is watching us today, thank you for listening in. If you want to learn more about Corona, there will be a link in the show notes to um, the company and their social media platforms. So you can connect directly with them through those mediums. Until the next time when I bring another innovator or another exceptional guest your way, do stay safe and um, take care. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel, share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.